What's up everyone and welcome to Found Flicks. On this ending explain, we're checking out Missing. Where after her mother goes missing, a young woman tries to find her from home using the many tools available to her online. If you've seen Searching, you have a pretty good idea of what to expect from its spinoff Missing. While the story is different, the screen lifestyle and many shocking twists of its predecessor are still in full effect. It is another entertaining ride of twists and turns and does keep the computer screen centric story compelling and engaging throughout. But as the mini story twist starts stacking up at the end, things start not to make a whole lot of sense. Something new gets revealed, and as we go back through what we already know, you're kind of like, wait a minute. It's definitely one of those don't think about it too much kind of situations, but come on, overthinking things is my whole job. And regardless of the story not quite coming together, there still is a lot of brainless fun to be had here, proving that there is still some novelty to mine from its particular format. So let's check out Missing, breaking down these stories, many, many twists, the important relationship at its core, and explain the shocking ending. Static crackles, and we are launched back to a home movie from way back in 2008. A father, James, is playing with a camera along with his daughter, June. He asks where they are. That's right, Grandpa's house. Mom, Grace, enters, seeming a bit out of sorts, complaining about the lack of window curtains. James retorts, they don't need them. They're in the middle of nowhere, after all. She gets worried, seeing June with the camera. She could break it again, and quickly takes it away. James gets a nosebleed out of nowhere, blaming it on the high altitude. High indeed. So. Then we see on a modern desktop someone watching the video and they cut it right before the nosebleed part. Now we aren't sure at this point whose desktop we are watching, but they appear to be blowing up their online footprint, deleting all of their various accounts across the internet. Based on another folder named James Medical, including things on brain tumors as well as helping a child process grief, it leads us to believe that James had a terminal disease and is no longer around. The family video clip is dragged into a file marked for June. It's clicked away to the dead dad smiling face. In an amusing reference to the events of the first film, the story has now been turned into an episode of a true crime show, Unfiction, featuring, well, fictitious reenactments of real crime cases. We are now seeing through the digital eyes of the 18-year-old June, a buffet of various internet tabs and convos overtaking her screen. On the verge of her mom going out of town, she and her friend Vina are planning to throw a shindig, but are in desperate need of some cash. She gets a call from her mom, who has kind of a boomer moment, screeching in vain for Siri to help her. June reminds her that she's already on the phone, and Grace asks her to clear her voicemails. Who leaves voicemails anymore anyway, Mom? Grace is off to vacation with her new beau, and lays down the ground rules while she's away. No alcohol, and make sure to keep your location turned on the entire time, which June isn't really paying any attention to, writing some gibberish down onto a sticky note. She also left a key with her friend Heather, further drawing June's ire. She's 18, she's fine by herself. I don't need no babysitter, Mom. Things get tense with Mom, bringing up how she doesn't understand the sacrifices she's made, and lovingly calls her June Bug. June groans, telling her to not call her that anymore. She leaves her some money, stressing that it's for emergencies, which June promptly uses to pay her friend for some booze. Now that is an emergency. The new boyfriend, Kevin, shows up and awkwardly tries to say that he has something to tell her, but struggles to find the words. He knows that he's just the new guy to her, but he does truly love her mom, and he does appear genuine. Mom interrupts before he can continue. June is back to doom scrolling, and on her Twitter timeline, there's a mention of Area 52, a continuation of the alien invasion easter eggs present in the outskirts of searching. When he leaves, Grace says that she's sorry for being so hard on her. She just wants to make sure that she's safe. She tasks her with picking them up from the airport, and June is still staring unbroken at the screen without even saying a proper goodbye. She sees them on the camera getting in the car outside, along with another guy with his hat suspiciously pulled down. Hats. You know he's bad. 
only bad guys wear hats. Mom texts her with a reminder to clear her voicemail and follows up with an I love you. June hesitates before replying and settles for a cold thumbs up in response. In the morning, she gets a text from Kev's phone relaying that they made it to Columbia. Her mom's friend, Heather, randomly shows up and June attempts to hide her article about partying on a budget. Heather is just glad that Grace finally found someone and even admits that she finds Kev attractive too. Oh, thanks for letting me know, Heather. <laughs> she gets right up next to her at the screen. She's happy to stick around if June is bored, but she fibs that she's just looking forward to a nice, quiet evening. That is, of course, not the case, as a kind of routine emerges of her partying all night with her friends and receiving another text update and photo from her mom in Colombia. Father's Day proves especially difficult for June, seeing several people posting tributes to their dads on social media. She later plays back through that family vid, watching on misty-eyed. She cracks open IG and stops at the same shot of her family. She crops the photo to mostly remove her mom and captions it, wish you were here, clicking it to send it off into the virtual world. She's given a rude awakening on Monday with a notification that it's time to pick up her mom at the airport and the place is in shambles. With Vina unable to help, she finds a maid on TaskRabbit to clean up the mess. June waits for her mom at the terminal with a sign, jokingly welcoming her home from prison. She waits for some time amongst a sea of people constantly passing by, but ultimately there is no sign of her mom or Kevin. She attempts to call and text with both going unanswered. She is able to find their hotel reservation and reaches out in search of answers. The language barrier makes things more difficult, enlisting the skills of Google Translate. She learns that they left all their belongings, but no one actually saw them leave. Using Google Maps, she discovers the hotel has a security camera, but it gets deleted after 48 hours and can only be seen in person. She reaches out to Heather, who also knows now that they have gone mysteriously missing. She's already got a form for her to fill out and will work with the embassy in the morning, assuring that they'll figure out what happened. An FBI agent Park calls her regarding getting the footage and time is running out. It's going to be deleted in only six hours. Park is still hopeful they can help despite not having jurisdiction in Colombia, as long as she fills out the rest of the form. He inquires about her mother. Did she do or say anything strange before departing? Well, not really. So she attempts to log into her mom's account, but cannot decode the password. She fills out the form, but there's still no movement after several hours and the clock is running out. Venus suggests for her to try out some live cams and find several of various general areas in Colombia, but only the big tourist spots really. A reminder from TaskRabbit gives her an idea, but Colombia is outside the coverage area. She finds the Colombian equivalent in Go Ninja and finds someone cheap to hire in spite of the middling reviews. Also, five hours to deliver tacos. That's ridiculous. She can't connect to them either. Gotta get WhatsApp first. A uh, lot of app hoops to jump through here. Javi answers, and she explains that she needs him to get to the cameras before time runs out. He's confused. Can't the police check on it? But as Park told her, they can't do any direct investigation. He excuses that he normally does more basic service, but June pleads, it's her mother. This gets through to Javi as it reminds him of his son, and he relents to do the search for her. He points out that your phone is always tracking us. She's aware of that, but can't get into any of her mom's accounts. He suggests to instead try Kevin's accounts, sending her investigation into a fresh direction. She tracks down Kevin's business website in a snap, but is stopped by another password. Thanks to Vina's perfect imitation of his voice and some quick Google searches, they are able to answer all of his personal questions and gain his password, appropriately Kevin the Stallion. With that, she's in, checking his data and map timeline. There's a trip via Uber to LAX, along with the flight to Columbia, but the data abruptly cuts off here. Vina considers that it could be due to no service, but June knows that he's still been texting her since then. There's bad news from Javi, as the footage has already been deleted. However, he did get a few more clues from a housekeeper. She said she saw two American tourists leaving the 
hotel, and they were dressed to go to somewhere fancy. She also mentioned that Kevin was looking for a hardware store on vacation, as strange as that might sound. It dawns on her to check his credit card history, and finds that his last charge was in a nearby tourist area. Thusly, she sends Javi to check out all the stores around to find out more. He has another idea. He can just buy some gum instead, in order to be anonymous and find if they are able to match the bank codes. Heather complains about her breaking into Kev's email. She needs to let the police handle it. June is then stopped in her tracks by a thirst trap image from another woman and see that Kev gave her a flirty response. They assume this means that he was cheating. Vina noting he certainly has a type. Looks just like her mom. They dig deeper into his account, seeing he has 27 blocked users, both wondering who they are. They rifle through the emails from various women, all referring to Kevin by different names. The main through line being that they are demanding that he give their money back. The duo realize now that he's not cheating. He's a con man. They even find his criminal record, and he did three years in prison, having just been released last year. She wants to bring this up to Park, who points out that he wasn't involved in any kidnappings, plus all of that happened before he went to jail. There's been nothing ever since his release. But as for Bunny Cake, which is from this year, he lets her down that they can't use any of that evidence due to it being illegally procured. Whoops. Way to go, Columbo Jr. Since the police still can't do much, she digs into Bunny Cake's online data, quickly tracking down her Insta. This leads her to a tasting room where she works, and a phone call confirms that she hasn't shown up for the past several weeks, matching up with the timeline of her last post. They assume that means that Kevin must have been involved and do find a connection. He visited her several times at her workplace. They check his schedule, and some GPS coordinates stick out, pointing to a remote house in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. They call the owner a Jim W, who can confirms that Kevin was there recently, and after some prodding, reveals that he was there for a re-entry program for ex-offenders. She's curious if Kev ever mentioned her mother, Jim chuckling, oh, he would never shut up about her. As for how they met, he assumes that she would know better than him. Well, thanks for nothing, Jim W. Hobby was at least able to find the hardware store, learning that all Kev purchased was a padlock, which is quite curious. He wants to know what's next, and for now, she isn't sure, leaving her disappointed as things reach a dead end. She then digs back into Kevin's search history for Grace and is able to find the beginning of their relationship matching on the lovely dating app. Initially, he sends her several messages attempting to start a conversation, but it's only after several attempts that she finally responds, admiring his persistence. Their convos lead to a first date and things pick up steam from there. At one point, she expresses frustration to him over June's behavior. She doesn't know what to do anymore. She spills that when she looks at her, she can't help but see her father. They've been through so much together. Kevin offers that he knows that she She's a great mom, and one day June will get that too. Which does get through to June, starting to reflect on their last interaction. Eh, kind of a crappy way to leave things with your mom, especially if she's dead. You're like, thumbs up, you're dead. Eh, bye. They have a call where she divulges the full story of her mysterious past. We don't hear what it is, and makes Kevin promise to never utter a word about it. He brings up his own criminal past, which they are able to set aside after a frank discussion, despite the obvious red flags. Laying into the romance side of the relationship, another search leads June to a love bridge in Colombia completely covered in locks, just like the one the pair bought. Javi is even able to find a lock with their respective initials on the bridge, so perhaps it's all just a big misunderstanding. This seems even more plausible when June is able to access the archive of the bridge's webcam, all the way back to when the couple were there exactly. Though the woman's face is suspiciously obscured. Kevin fiddles with something in his pocket and gets down on one knee to pop the question. She accepts, and the others applaud in congratulations. June is shocked. Maybe she really was wrong about everything. Then the story 
story takes another surprising turn for the supposed lovebirds. Park thinks that they've found him, and it wasn't a con. We see the couple walking, and a white van approaches. A bunch of guys run out and capture them both. Well, that's not good. They aren't sure who the men are, but they have units on the case already to find them. Based on a transaction record they found, it could have been about money as to why they were kidnapped. June is desperate to help, but Park tells her that it's best for her to just sit by the phone. That won't fly with June, who makes contact with Javi, explaining the latest development. She laments that she didn't even get to say goodbye to her mom, and Javi broaches the subject of what happened to her father. June knows that it was years ago and can't even remember the funeral. Javi also lost his wife when his son was young, so he can relate to how tough that really is. June tells him that his son is lucky to have him in his life, but it turns out after a big fight, he has lost touch with Carlito. He also knows that beating himself up over it won't help anything. No matter what, nothing can change a parent's love. She's about to give up the search for now, until those pictures from Colombia again catch her eye. She scrolls back through them, really noticing now that her mom is conveniently facing away in every single shot. She notices the little live button, and when given it a click, we can see that it's actually Rachel, aka Bunny Cake, and not her mother. This blows the case wide open and into the national spotlight, as Park does a press conference in search of the missing American woman. At first, they thought she was kidnapped, but she was in fact impersonated in an alleged scheme constructed by Kevin and Rachel. They turn to the public for assistance, and they now believe that Grace never even left LA at all. Shocker! The news explodes with coverage on the case, and the hashtag FindGraceAllen consumes social media. They go through a timeline of what happened, and know that she must have been switched out at some point on the way to the airport. But there was only a three-minute stop along the way, implying that the driver may have also been involved as well. Told you, suspicious hat man, never trust him. There was also a large withdrawal from Grace's account after she disappeared, but the only person that really knows what's going on here is Kevin. As the walls close in on the not-so-reformed con man, some people involved in the kidnapping are interviewed, and according to them, they were told it was part of a movie, and the guy complains that Kevin didn't even pay everything that they were promised. The same goes for Rachel. When she's tracked down, she naively believed that it was all for some kind of elaborate travel show. She said she was instructed to act and move in a certain way, and did think it was strange that she couldn't post anything about the shoot. But it was the kidnapping that raised enough concerns for her finally, and she made a run for it at that point. So the entirety of what was seen in Colombia was actually Rachel impersonating Grace, and again, she never even made it to the airport. The question then turns back to Grace's mysterious past. Has she gone by any other names before? As far as June knows, no. That turns out to be wrong, and the public eye is swayed towards Grace's potential involvement in everything. Her real ID, however, is sealed up in court documents, which she discusses with Heather. She says it'll take a week to lift it, and it's curious if she's ever brought anything about this up to Heather before. She says she can't recall, and June is just baffled as to why she kept this huge secret from her. The internet begins spreading theories like wildfire, some again believing that it was Grace actually behind everything, hiding in the trunk to start a new life. The press is now swarmed outside of June's house, and she is cracking under the spotlight. Javi encourages her to not let them get to her, but she reactively sets out to comment and throw her opinion into the discourse regarding her mother. Whatever good that'll do, she can't help but start to wonder herself. And when checking Grace's Facebook, all the details regarding her history are noticeably blank. A search into her name leads to articles on the case, one considering if her boyfriend is helping her hide her past. June digs into his search history regarding identity change, its dead ends until she searches how to hide internet, and gets a hit on something called the Guy's Encrypted Messenger. She downloads it and tries Kevin's usual login, which doesn't work this time. All it takes, however, is a quick password reset, and she's in. Hacker Extreme over here. Wow. There's a conversation from just an hour prior, 
and another from two days ago. At the top, the message is certainly alarming. What did you tell June? You promised not to tell anything. June replies and asks for their number. They got a new phone and needs to talk. She suddenly finds herself logged out, and well, that is all quite strange. She looks up the other user, matching the number to none other than Heather. Who are you talking to? What are you up to? June considers who to contact, and then she remembers the smartwatch that someone left from her party. She breathlessly explains to Hobby about Heather and how she was obsessed with Kevin since they met, thinking that she could be the mastermind now. Well, a lot of masterminds around here. She straps the watch on to sneakily record everything and gets it synced to her phone. He urges her to go to the police. It's too dangerous. And even if her mom did something wrong, eh, parents make mistakes too, you know? June callously fires back, I guess you would know. You gave up on your son, but I won't give up on my mama. She takes the car, having to navigate through the throngs of people hoarding outside her house. She gets the watch recording, introducing us that she's made it to Heather's office. June pounds at the door, and since seeing her car out front, knows Heather's here. She knocks again, and the door swings open, luring her inside. She rounds Heather's desk, seeing that her hard drive is in the middle of being formatted. She then discovers several of what looks like PI photos of Heather out and about, along with a warning. If you talk, she dies. An elevator ding sends June into a panic and hides. Luckily, it's just a housekeeper to her relief. <sighs> Clomping further around the office, she finds what must be Heather's necklace broken on the ground, and her patient file case is hanging wide open. Someone was definitely here looking for something. She notices something behind the door, and her theory is proven wrong, finding Heather's body slumped in the corner. Well, not much of a mastermind now. She catches up with Park, and she just missed the attacker by a mere 30 minutes. Woo, pretty close call. June knows that the killer must must have seen her messages, and then silence Heather to keep her from spreading any potential harmful info. However, Park notes that Heather wasn't choosing to interact with this person. She was being threatened. The photos were as suspected to keep her mum. But if Kevin is still in Columbia, then who did this? He's not sure either, but vows they will keep police units on her house until they find out more. Kev remains the key, and still the best chance of finding her mom. We pull out from June's desktop, revealing her screen on another screen, screens on screens, meaning that someone has been monitoring her every move and most likely has been the entire time. An alert chimes from Kevin saying they know where he is and he needs help getting home. The person replies they already gave him his money, but Kev groans that he can't just leave him here. He doesn't want to go back to prison. The mystery person takes a moment to consider how to reply, but decides to just X the chat box. You're on your own, Kev. Soon after, she gets a message from Vina that they found him, linking her to a live police raid underway. She flips through various angles as a SWAT team busts into a building. She switches to a roof shot, seeing Kevin slinking around. The police corner him, and despite him appearing to surrender immediately, they open fire, and the feed goes dead. Well, as was stated repeatedly, Kev was their best lead, and now the case has gone cold once more. There's not really much they can do, and Vina invites her to stay at her place until it all blows over. She sees the police rolling out on the front door camera, and she goes to shut down her computer. However, she refuses to throw in the towel, and returns to her mom's many worried unanswered texts. In the last one, she sees Love You along with her daughter's petty thumbs up response. Well, now she probably feels like a real jerk about that, huh? She goes to her voicemail, and unsurprisingly, the majority are from Grace. We hear her getting increasingly worn down with each one. The first, she asks her to come out and catch a movie. The next is definitely more pressed. My name is Grace Allen. I'm actually your mother, she says half-jokingly. Then another, calling her Junebug. She says she tried knocking on her door, but she didn't answer. Grace tells her that she has a lot to talk with her about, but assumes she's not even checking her messages. She plays it from the top, and hearing her call her Junebug, 
gives her a light bulb to try for her account password. And wouldn't you know it, Dunebug was the key. She's finally in, funny that she didn't even think to try that in the first place. June rushes to her timeline in the last known location. She's seen arriving at the airport and then was brought to another location where the data stopped for good. As for her blocked users, there's only one and it doesn't sound like a too friendly interaction. Gravely stating, I found you, Grace. And then she deserves to know. She cross-references the address with Kev's Google and finds a thread regarding purchasing a high-tech security camera system. She resets the password, Hacker Supreme, and gets access to several cameras all around a country house. She clicks through the others and stops on one that she seems to recognize. As she confirms, it's indeed the same room from that opening family video clip when she was a kid, and the house being monitored must be the same. The tension is cut by a call from that Jimmy guy that supposedly runs a rehab for convicts or whatever. He seems bristly, asking if she's safe and that the doors are locked. She's confused, and he insists there's no time to explain. They don't know who's listening. She wants to call someone, and he says that's a bad idea. They don't know who they can trust. Just stay on the phone. She distinctly hears someone approaching outside, and a dude in a hoodie rushes up to the door. The man offers that he came as soon as he could and didn't mean to scare her. Well, I'm scared. June is hesitant, shrieking that she'll call the police. And perhaps the biggest shock of all, the man removes his hood, and it's her miraculously alive father. What? He tries to reason with her, knowing the situation is crazy and all, but knows that he can explain everything. There are things that she needs to know. She lowers the phone and addresses him through the glass, and James' voice breaks when saying his daughter's name. She decides to unlock the door after all and creaks it open, whispering, Dad, in disbelief. He tries to get closer, and she wants him to keep his distance. What is going on here? He proceeds to go on a rant about Grace and pretty much blames her for everything going wrong. They were always fighting, and she would barely let him feed or even play with June. Every day got worse and worse, until one day she took her away. He's been searching for her ever since. June informs him that her mom said he was dead, and he says that his fate was even worse. She actually lied to a judge to get him sent to prison so she could have June all for herself. June tries to take in all this info dump. Mom lied to her? He pours on further to his sob story. Every day he'd wake up in Eastham for 12 years knowing that Grace had her stowed away somewhere. Uh, the pain. June knows something is off though when he mentions where he served time. It's the same place where Kevin went to jail. She puts together that he wasn't his counselor. They actually met in prison. She glimpses to the hat wearing driver and realizes now that it was her dad in plain sight all along. Vina calls and dad tries to keep her distracted. She makes a run to accept it, but her dad manages to make her decline the call. He grabs her and drags her out of the room, seeing them as they make it outside and he tosses her in the trunk. We hone back in on those childhood home cameras and return to that previous home video footage, but now realize we only saw half the story from before. At the nosebleed moment, which was edited, they tell little Junie to leave and have a tense conversation. James scorns her for making him look bad in front of the kid. She stammers about seeing him go out back and when seeing her filming, aggressively takes the camera away. Through what we understand now was Grace's desktop, we learn the truth about James through her search history. Things like makeup tutorials to cover a black eye, or amongst others, how to leave an abusive father. Painting how bad the relationship really was after she tries to distance herself from him, but he keeps harassing her with countless emails apologizing. Grace, or really Sarah, can't take it anymore looking up the law related to abuse. James hints at his burgeoning techno wizardry when he is able to catch on to his wife's telling search history. You won't ever leave me, he warns. She thusly switches over to private browsing. Not that that really means anything. Yeah, you're still getting tracked by someone. It turns out that James has even more troubling behavior. In a conversation, Grace mentioning about having found something in the closet when he was playing hide and seek. He excuses that he was just going to sell it, and she growls to 
cut the shit. I mean, based on the nosebleed and everything, which we thought was brain tumor related, it was just an old nose candy. So wow, abusive and a drug-addled maniac. Definitely a good thing Grace got out of there. It also really puts into perspective why she didn't ever discuss her past. It would also destroy the image of her father, and Grace didn't want her to have to bear that too. Also, it was thanks to his drug use that she was able to put him away for over a decade, giving them peace for some time at least. When the police come to take him away, he threatens that he's going to find her in a pool of her own blood before June will be taken from him, setting up the real scheme at play here, and just who is the real mastermind behind everything. Grace then seeks a lawyer to help her out, and it's through this that she meets Heather, who assists her in getting a protective identity change. There's outpours of consoling from others, as we thought before it was for losing James, but it was actually about her having to abruptly throw her old life completely away and start from scratch, all in the hopes of keeping June safe from her nutball dad. Now we're back to the beginning, with the correct perspective on matters, as Grace deletes all of her online profiles and was the one who cut the video at that pivotal moment, trying to preserve her innocent childhood recollection of her dad. Well, so much for that. They arrive at the farmhouse and a sobbing June is yanked out of the trunk and brought inside. He ties her up and leaves her locked in a room to tend with one thing before they can leave, he says. The other cameras follow him as he enters into the kitchen and retrieves a gun. He purposefully stalks to the back shed and see that he has Grace locked up too. She's been using a brick to carve a hole out and when he enters the room, she quickly hides it. He grumbles for her to go outside, and she shoots back. If he was going to kill her, he would have done it already. He tells her that plans have changed, tossing her June's jean jacket. He rushes her, growling that for 12 years he's felt like this. Time's up for her, and June and him have to get going. She brains him with the brick, and the gun fires. Grace runs back to the main house, locking him in the shed. He gets his footing and opens fire on the door to blast off the lock. Grace makes it to her daughter, and they have an emotional, albeit rushed, reunion. No time to dilly-dally, daddy's coming. She knows that it was James that killed Heather, and from what she can assess, he has gone pretty much insane and is doing this as some sort of punishment for what she did all those years ago. James locks him in the room and wanders off into the woods with a shovel. Not sure why you would make the graves first, but... I don't know. You do you, James. The girls aren't quite sure why they were brought here. And June realizes it's because she was close to finding out the truth. This development is a bit strange, too, because we now get that James was at the very least aware of where they were since Kevin started dating Grace. It was through Kevin that he was able to re-infiltrate her life. He was also watching June's computer the whole time. So why not just grab her then? Why wait until things get potentially more dangerous for him? Uh, I'm not sure. Also, why kidnap Grace when you already know where June is? Kind of losing me on all the twists here. Getting a little out of control. I kidnapped you to find out where June is, but I already know where June is because I went and got her without you telling me where she is. June clocks a camera in the grate and see that her computer is still on but is about to die. While her phone is back at the house, she remembers the smartwatch. Without a connection, she can't do much, but luckily is able to get on James's hotspot. What, the techno genius guy just leaving unrestricted Wi-Fi around? Okay. She tries calling Javi, but clearly perturbed by their last encounter, he screens the call. She tries again and he answers, but isn't exactly pleased to see her. She apologizes for what she said and explains that she found her mom, but now they need his help. Javi relents and they send him to IG to find that family photo along with the address on the front. She pleads for him to call the police and tell them where they are and the call cuts off. James is heard rapidly approaching and busts open the door wanting to know what's the deal? Did you just make a call? He tells her to come to him right now and Grace steps in between them always protective of her daughter. He raises the gun barking for her to back off. He's not going to ask again. A man of his word he shoots her without hesitation. June freaks out crying what did you do? She tries to make a break for it but James quickly overpowers her. He starts restraining her hand 
hands again. And Grace gets him with a surprise shard to the neck. James isn't about to let a little old neck wound foil his big plans and locks them both back up. June grunts off the grate and begs to the lens for her dad to not do this. No one has to die, daddy-o. James does a search for a nearby hospital, but doesn't get the whole search string out before collapsing dead on his keyboard. June returns to her wounded mother and pours her heart out. She promises if they get home, she'll be better. I'll listen to your voicemails. You can call me Junebug, whatever you want. And most importantly, I won't make fun of you for using Siri for everything. Oh, hopeless boomers. But as usual, it's Siri to the rescue. Huzzah! Bless you, omnipresent technology! She's able to, through the watch, trigger her phone to call 911. It works like a charm, hearing dispatch sending police to the location. When the squad car rolls up the dusty road, the footage suddenly looks a lot cleaner and more cinematic than what we're used to. The SWAT team secure the house, hearing June call for help. Our story, as we see, has been adapted into the latest installment of Unfiction, just like the first movie's wild story, the abduction of Grace Allen with Jasmine Savoy Brown now playing June in a fun quick cameo for, you know, Yellow Jackets and Scream fans. Grace texts her, and Siri, as usual, is biffing her dictations. June tells her to just call, and the phone is pointed at the wall. Oh, Mom, when will you learn? Mom dotes on her, as always, reminding her about the bus early in the morning. Make sure to set a bunch of alarms. A big smile crosses June's face, now appreciating everything her mom has done for her, giving her a heartfelt thanks. We see that Javi has also made up with his boy. Somehow, this nightmare has brought everyone closer together. Their call is accidentally cut short, and already knowing what her mom would say, she'll make sure to print her ticket. And even bigger gives her a full I love you. Woo! Mom starts to type back, but goes for a thumbs up instead. June is flabbergasted by the shade, and Grace tells her that she loves her too. Nice one, Mom. June can't wait to see her, and goes back to the episode, but decides to let the past alone, and moves on with her new and more appreciative new perspective. Tellingly, her background has also been updated to no longer mourn her lost father, but unlike before, where she cut her mom out, it's now the two of them front and center. That brings us to the conclusion of this ending explained for Missing. Don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of Missing and its ending? Do you prefer this or searching? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Found Flicks. See you next time.